0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by M-Prize Bank, your partner in possible. Coming up, Benny Heisler brings you the latest episode of Benny and the Bets the sports betting show here at KC Sports Network. From props to spreads and everything in between, your sports betting show focused on our local teams is right here. So let's begin the show.
2: What's up, everybody? Benny and the Bets is back, and uh, in case you don't recognize our next guest, maybe it's because uh, at one point he was wearing several different major league uniforms, including for a few years in Kansas City. Not only... Uh, is Eric Kratz joining us on the show, my my old friend from, from several years ago, uh, now a, a media darling hosting Foul Territory. Uh, but the man is also uh, now an author of a brand new book that is being released on Tuesday with Tim Brown. It's called Tao of the Backup Catcher, Playing Baseball for the Love of the Game. And I, I got to tell you, man, like following up on this longtime career, playing in the big leagues, mixing it up, going back and forth towards later years in the minors, and now working as a media analyst and now an author? Like, of all those three things when you were a little kid, did you? what order would you rank them in from media analyst, ball player, author?
3: Uh, I would rank them, if I were to go back and talk to 10-year-old me, I'd be like, what? Like, you're not, I don't even know if now I'm actually an author. Like, I am part of the writing process, Tim's the author. I was the, I was the muse. How about that? I was, you know, but yeah, playing baseball was like way up. I mean, there was no list of like, yeah, I want to be part of the media. I want to be part of, I remember I wrote, a, I wrote a story in, oh man, I don't even know what year it was in school. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I had written too many stories about, I want to be a baseball player. So I wrote a story and read, um, Harry Carey's book. And so I wrote a story about how I was going to be an announcer. Well, it's not, it's not quite there, but I guess it
2: kind of came to fruition. Which Which Harry Carey book was it? Because I read the one that, that Steve Stone wrote about his time with Harry, but, but which Harry Carey book do you remember? Oh, I don't remember which one it was. All I remember was I,
3: I got it out of the library and started reading it. There was a lot about like his, like drunken escapades and coming to the field and I was I might have been 13 years old like I'm like this was this should have had a rating of PG 13 so I was right on the border of should be should I be reading this should I not but it was good because it was all about like it was it was his life it was his life in the big leagues and what he did as an announcer and going to these parties and showing up for the day game
2: not even going home like crazy there's there's a great story, and, and I'm, I'm going to waste everybody's time because it's such a good story to tell. And, and I can't even necessarily confirm it, but there's a, a tale that I heard from a long time ago where Harry Carey and Bob Euchre, longtime uh, Hall of Fame voice in the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, were out drinking one night during spring training. And Euchre earlier in the night had paid a waitress to come out at some point topless. And he knew that Harry was going to be hammered the whole night. So he gives the waitress the signal. She comes out topless. Everyone's acting normal because they're all in on the bit. And Harry, who's like several drinks in, he goes, Hey, Bob. Bob, you see that, that the waitress over there? She's she's topless." And you goes, "Harry, I don't know what you're talking about. You're you're drunk. You're wasted, man. And you're you're gone in the way. No, no, she's right over there. You know how do you not see it? Classic. What? And not I something that think- I think a lot of broadcasts can probably be able to put up with anymore."
3: That is definitely not going to happen anymore. But with I, I don't know if it's I can say that it has to be true. If Yuke said it happened, it has to be true. With those two guys getting to getting to meet
2: Yuke and hang out with him, I know that's true. What were some of your favorite memories from from spring training? I know that everyone always asks about the stories from the regular season, but but spring training is a special time, especially for. A backup catcher too, because you're learning so many of these young pitchers that are coming up. Uh, you're trying to get in touch with with the whole pitching staff in general, learning a lot of new teammates. What are your some of your fondest memories from many of spring trainings are, uh, during the big leagues?
3: I was fortunate; my my family came with me to most spring trainings, so there was there was a lot of opportunities for us to like go to different places. But as far as like baseball goes in spring training. I'm always going to new teams. I'm going to new teams during the season trying to learn people. So spring training was a time where I actually got to play. Like, it was like, hey, Eric, you're going to play tomorrow, and then you'll probably play two days from now. And it's like, whoa, whoa, I am going to be exhausted if you keep putting me out here this much. I'm not used to all this playing time. But when you said when you said stories of spring training, the one that comes to my mind, Jesse Chavez still playing, yeah, was a prospect with the Pirates. I mean, kind of a prospect, you know, he's, he's created his career because of what he does, but we used to get envelopes of money and each week you get anywhere from like a thousand to $1,100 in cash and everybody goes out and hanging out and people have their envelopes. So they feel, you know, you're high on the hog. Some guys are not thinking about like, oh, I got a, Use this money to pay for the overpriced rent that we got to pay during spring training. They're just like, Oh, cash, this is great. And Jesse, being kind of a grinder in the minor leagues, they go, Hey, Jess, they go, If we give you all of our meal money, the guys who are there give all their meal money, would you lick the urinal cookie for <laughs> that cash? They said before, I wish I was there to see it personally, <laughs> but before it ever even, I mean, it was, they said it was like that. He went in there, like a urinal cookie. Like this is the kind of stuff you can't get during the season because during the season, guys are like trying to stay focused and lock in. Spring training, you're just trying to make it through your outing. And then you're like on the golf course. You're hanging out. You're going to the beach, whatever that kind of
2: stuff. So spring training, you're right, is a it's a playground of of stories. I want to go back to to the ten year old self that you brought up a little bit earlier. Did you know, in the midst of wanting to be a ball player, that you wanted to play catcher? And then what was sort of your original connection to the position that's now gotten you thirty plus years later in the media, long time playing career, and now a uh, and now an author as well. Uh, yeah, no. At 10 years old, I was like every other kid.
3: I played shortstop. The best players play shortstop. And then I became, the reality was I'm not athletic enough to play shortstop. So I'm going to start playing third base. And then I get the third base and I got the yips at third base. And I got a, I wasn't on my fresh, I wasn't on my varsity baseball team after my sophomore year. So I played my freshman and sophomore year on JV. And, you know, I'm thinking, it's okay. Jordan didn't make his his varsity team until his junior year. So I was like, oh, there's still a story. Then I realized that there's a senior my junior year playing third base. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to figure something out. And so I started catching and that I didn't even start catching. We talked about it in the book, actually. I didn't even start catching until our shortstop. So he said, oh, well, we have another shortstop. He's a senior. I'll catch. And whenever I'm not catching, I'll go in and pitch. And I was like, that was me. Like, I'll catch. Like, he. So he was going to be the starting catcher. So I thought I had the job. Then he was like, oh, no, don't worry about it. I'll catch. And I was like, yeah, but I don't play anywhere else. I'll just sit on the bench. He got caught smoking on campus, <laughs> and so he got suspended for a game. And I came out. I started that game. I hit an opposite field home run in my first at bat, and I played every game since. That's oh. all I made, until I made it to pro ball, and then I didn't play at all. So,
2: <laughs> I I think that we should we should normalize the the wanting of, of playing catcher, and, and maybe you'd see like no. No, 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 man! Like your knees are gonna hurt so bad by the time you're done, or you're gonna take so many foul balls to the head that that maybe by the time you're, <laughs> you know, you got grandkids, you might be forgetting their names. I don't know, but I, I think about the importance of the position with regards to how much emphasis continues to build on pitching now, and like I'll, I'll give you an example, like the Wilson Contreras signing as a Cubs fan was fascinating to me. I'm going to St. Louis, and I. He was one of my favorite players when he was in Chicago because I, I loved the way he played on offense. I, I thought for a while, too, like, I loved the athleticism that he had behind the plate. And he was throwing guys out Then trying to pick them off at first base. Cannon of an arm. He could play left field um, as well. He, I think he played maybe a little bit of infield first base as well. Um, but then you saw what happened at the beginning of the year where he just, there wasn't a good connection. He wasn't a good receiver of the ball for a lot of these Cardinals pitchers. They had to figure out what to do. Like I, I think the position itself, as it becomes more evolutionized than baseball, it's starting to change. And I'm curious how you've seen it evolve since your playing career even even ended.
3: Yeah. No, it definitely it definitely has. And it continue it will continue to evolve. It's something that you have to be athletic. I joke about, you know, not being athletic enough to play shortstop. You have to be athletic to play behind a dish, but I think the real value is really the reason why I got the opportunity to play almost 20 years in pro baseball, minor leagues and big leagues. But that's really what the essence of the whole book is, is the value of a backup catcher. You know, is it a pissed off guy who feels like he should be starting? Yeah. A little bit. Is it a guy who's there for the 13 pitchers that are on the team? Yes. And that's where the real value, that's where the real, rewarding part of being a backup catcher is is the fact that you get to help these guys have a career. Whatever that career is, you know, you positively impact those guys in those moments. I don't know how, you know, I don't know if somebody's going to be a Hall of Famer or if they're going to have one year in the big leagues. I think, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, his stuff says this or this and that. As a backup catcher. You're working with those guys every single day. Yes, the starter is catching them, but you can't have a starter catching bullpens in between starts. You can't have a starter, you know, spending so much time with every one of these guys doesn't mean they don't have an impact. It just means that it is something that is you're as a backup catcher, you're really impacting these guys daily in their prep, in their just their mental aspect of the game and this is what will never change with the game is the fact that the catching position has to be a selfless position or else you kind of get into the Wilson Contreras type of situation. Not saying he's selfish, saying there is an, and he made the right call. He didn't go play in the WBC in spring training, but I think there was, I think it was kind of twofold. And they didn't quite know what they were getting with Wilson Contreras because the Cubs kind of, you know, were, you know, there was always a crutch there for him. There was always, he didn't catch a ton of games. You know, he wasn't a he wasn't a 100-plus catcher for 100-plus right. games for, I think, more than two seasons. Right. And so, like, the game-calling stuff was not quite up to par, up to big league standards because the Cubs coaching, when I played for the Brewers, we saw it, They would call the pitches, and that's a huge deficiency as the $87.5 million five-year player that the Cardinals signed. The second part of that fold is he's taking over for Yadier Melita, which that dude was taking other people's jobs and doing their jobs for him, and now he's gone? Yeah, they had to find a catcher, yes. That's tough. That's like trying to, you know, replace Jeter at shortstop. The difference was at the end of Jeter's career, he was slower. They had to grow the grass longer so that he could make the plays. So you bring someone else in, all of a sudden he's got tons of rage. You bring someone in to replace Yachty, well, you know what? Yachty would do the scatter report. Yachty would do the advance report. Yachty would do all things that now coaches that were like, you know, making sure they were the first one hitting the bottle of wine when they got on the plane. They have to do a lot more work because they don't have Yadier Molina to lean on. And Ali Marmel, he had Yadier Molina to lean on in those games where she's making calls like, hey, we're going to walk this guy. Now, yeah. I saw him do it all the time. I saw him look over, I'm on deck. They're like, yeah, let's walk this hitter. We're going to go after that guy. <laughs> and so it's stuff like that that you can't replace that. So it's not fair to Wilson Contreras to be like, Hey, you got to go in there and you got to throw everybody out. Wilson Contreras is a better arm than Yachty had the last five years of his career. Throwing guys out is a tiny, tiny part of it. And they made a big deal out of Wilson, you know, his receiving and all this stuff. Yachty wasn't very good at receiving either as far as numbers wise. Yeah. But we, on our show on foul territory, we had Ryan Helsley on just the other day and he goes, he goes, you know what? If Yadier Molina told me to throw a curveball in this situation. I'm 100% convicted to it because Yadier Molina knows what he's talking about, knows what he sees, and I'm gonna do it. And it's about getting pitchers to be convicted to what they have that day, that year, their career, whatever it is, and getting the most out of them. And that's and that's the beauty of being a backup catcher is there's so many ways to to affect the game, affect guys careers that never show up in the stats. And I'm totally fine with that. My stats were completely average. I was, I was the, I was the R in war, the replacement player in war. And, you know, it's one of those things that you, you sit there and you go, I feel like I had an above average career because of the relationships that I had.
2: There's so many more things that I want to get into. Eric Kratz is joining us here on Benny and the Bets. We're going to take a quick break. Come back on the other side. I'm going to dive into some of Eric's time here in Kansas City. Also get his thoughts uh, on being in Seattle for upcoming All-Star Weekend and maybe who he's got his eye on in the futures market as well for some teams that might have the ability to make a run. Stay with us. Benny and the butts.
1: Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play.
0: Just search KC Sports Network. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled dot lcom slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Entertain. Educate. Inform.
1: KC Sports Network.
2: All right, so Eric Kratz is back with us here on Benny and the Betts. So I want to I want to fast forward cuz I know that there are plenty of those years in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and Toronto but you make your way to Kansas City. Um I think it's only your your fifth big league season cuz so you, you got called up at age 30 for Pittsburgh. Uh so you come over I and I think this is still crazy to me to think about. It was wasn't it you and um was it Liam Hendricks that was in that trade to Kansas City and uh oh, yeah. Yeah, and then was Jason Fraser might have been a part of that deal as well.
3: No, he was already he
2: was already over here. Fraser's already there. Okay, but you come over to Kansas City, and we talk about sort of the impact of the backup catcher. You always used to joke with us when you would join myself and Danny and Carrington on the drive that like, yeah, I get the backup Sal Perez. I'm I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do here other than just like be like, hey, hey, big dog, you good? What? cheerleader? What were what were some of those those memories of of working together with Sal, working on those Royals teams, being a part of those Royals teams, really during the the heyday of of, of a thirty year run in Kansas City that finally started to see something positive happen? I mean that team
3: was so stacked. It was so just a just a juggernaut of a team in the sense of like. We just, and I say we. People joke about when I say we on a team that had 30 at bats, 20 at bats for. But the whole, the whole thing that made that team go, obviously, good players. You know, you go around the infield with, you know, with Haas and Cedys and Moose at third, and Salby behind the dish, and the guy, you know, bringing Wade out of the bullpen, big James Shields, you know, Alex in left, all that kind of stuff. Yes, we had physically a really good team, but the dudes on that team bringing everybody together and like enjoying the time that we had together was awesome. Like the two favorite things that we would do would win baseball games and make fun of Billy Butler. Like (laughs) that kind of stuff, that kind of stuff was like it, it brought the team together. And it's funny because I got traded with you know, I, it was the Eric Kratz trade and they threw in Liam Hendricks, but I got traded with Liam for Danny Valencia. Danny Valencia was hitting, I think three Oh five, something like that. And he went into when Dayton Moore called him in to tell him he was, he was getting traded. He goes, Oh, who'd you trade me for? And he goes, they were like, Oh, Eric Kratz. He goes, and who else? You know, it's like, (laughs) It was a lopsided trade in the sense of, but, but the guy had gotten in a fight in the clubhouse with somebody and he was like, it was, so I found this out four or five years later, I think about what happened. And literally the fight happened. They called, they called Dayton Moore 10 minutes later Dayton was on the phone with the blue was no Dayton was on the phone with their head of scouting. Uh, what is his name? I, can... I think their, their GM was
2: was Anthopolis at the time, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still talking about within the Royals. Oh, within the Royals. uh lot was Lonnie? Lonnie. Lonnie Goldberg, maybe. Now, now, oh, J- anyways. Okay.
3: anyways, it was their head of scouting. Got and he got the call. And so within 30 minutes of the fight, they had called, they had called Anthopoulos, and Anthopolis was like, yeah, you know, you want, you want Kratz? Yes. Because we'll take, we'll take Valencia who is, you know, a clubhouse cancer kind of thing situation. And they sent him out, sent me over. I was DH in that night in AAA. I was taken out of the hot tub at like six 30. I was on a flight the next morning at 6 35 out of Buffalo to Kansas City and they released um I forget what the catcher's name is, but that they released him for me to come and sit and watch Salby play. With Brett Hayes? Brett Hayes, thank you. Thank you. Yes. I should remember that. And then you uh, know that I, team was that team was stacked. And I'm coming. But what's crazy was. I went from a team that was two and a half games out of the wild card to another team that was two and a half games out of the wild card. And at the trade deadline, the move that the Royals made was they picked me up. Like, that was that was one of, like, two moves. I think we got Sprague a little bit before that. Um, got Raul Abanez at the August yeah. trade yeah. deadline thing. You know, that was just, you know, he was hitting, like, 160. So they made no moves, but the Blue Jays, because you're still, you know, that was the team you were with, their big dogs that year were, were going to the media like, hey, we need to make a move, need to make a move, and they didn't, and they got pissed after the trade deadline where our team only picked me up, and they were like, good, like, this is all we, like, we have what we have in this clubhouse, which, you know, we ended up going to game seven of the World Series, Blue Jays crashed because you know there wasn't that belief in the guys that they have in the clubhouse clubhouse because when you say hey we're gonna trade for we need to trade for a starter there's a starter that's sitting in his locker like this like you mean like you mean because i'm not good enough no like everybody's got to push together for it
2: does gordon score if they send him Not- I I don't know why that argument still exists. I, I think you would have been out by forty feet, and that's, that's one of the one of the great players and most and, and, and a really smart base runner at that time. It was absolutely the right decision, absolutely the
3: right decision. And Jersh not sending him, what an epic position to be put in in your first year as the third base coach after what thirty years, twenty five years in the minor leagues, and Jersh is in Game Seven with Alex Gordon. Stumbling, bumbling, coming around second. Oh, send him. Sure. No, it was an easy call. He definitely, definitely doesn't need to go. Nobody, nobody, and anybody with some actual brain cells would say, Oh, yeah, he probably like, what? Buster Posey's not gonna catch a short hop? I even I even played with uh BC later. I played with Crawford later and asked him, and he's like I wasn't even that deep in the outfield. Like it would have been, I would have just thrown it to him in the air. Like it wouldn't even been a long
2: hop. So. Yeah. I, I still think it's fun fodder. A lot of people continue to have that conversation, but you know, he absolutely made the right call. I know we got a couple minutes left. I want to talk to you about foul territory as well. It's a, a show that got started. You, AJ Pierzinski, there's a bunch of other really big stars that are a part of that show. And it kind of feels like it's the show that was like if you sort of did the elevator pitch for what inside the NFL is. It's that, but then you're you're allowing the actual personalities of these big league ball players to really come and shine through in an environment that suits them, that makes them feel really comfortable, and does basically what baseball has failed to do for a long time, which is to highlight not just A certain star in a certain market, but all these guys that relate to so many of the fans that are going out and supporting them. How did everything come together for you to be a part of that show? And has there been anything that's really stood out since you've become a part of the show, whether it be interviews or bits or uh, what's been the maybe your favorite part of of Foul Territory to this point?
3: Yeah. Well, first, it, it came to fruition. Um, because Mark Wiener and Scott Braun, both high up with the MLB Network, they had this idea that, you know what, cable TV is kind of where it's at. You know, streaming is how people are digesting their content right now, and baseball was just 10 years behind. And it was needed for, for baseball content to be at the, to have to fans to have access to baseball content interviews and like real interviews, not just the, wow, great job. You hit a three, two pitch over the fence. It went 450 feet. Great launch angle. How did you feel? And then, you know, it's just, it's the token answers and everything. And this unfiltered, everybody thinks unfiltered means curse words and all this stuff. Unfiltered just means I'm, I'm who I am, and I want to come on and talk about what I want to come on and talk about. Do we talk about baseball? Absolutely. But some of our best bits have been, some of our best, like, questions have been about, like, what's it like, you know, what is Yuri Perez like on the mic when, you know, as a rookie on the bus trips? Like, stuff that fans don't ever get an opportunity to hear about. And me as a player, I love telling those kinds of stories. I love, like, talking about What was, what's fun? What's the feeling in the clubhouse? Do you guys think you're going to win? Do you guys, you know, that kind of stuff is, you get real answers. And there's some dud interviews, guys who are like, well, I think it's fun, you know, but it's, it's not their fault. It's because that's all the interviews they've ever been allowed to give. Right. And if you go on a podcast, if you go on a show, they're like, oh, great. I'm going to be on there for an hour. Like we just come on and we just wrap it up. Like we talk. Like when I text my buddies after they're like, "Hey, you mind if I come on the show?" I'll text them and be like, "Hey, come on and hang out." Like we just we're just hanging out. Because someone will be like, "Oh, well, what are we gonna talk about?" Whatever you want to talk about. Like Low Cain's on there. <laughs> Excuse me, Low Cain's on there is a guest host. I think he's on tomorrow. Actually, he's on Friday, filling in for me because. <clears throat> I have the game. And like, he's like, this is cool. I could just be Lokane. And Lokane is hilarious. Everybody knows Lokane's hilarious, but you know, you just get little things. You get some stories from Lokane talking about, you know, being a boss. Like Lokane told the story the other day. It's, you know, you can see it. Brandon Woodruff, Big Woo, is talking about how somebody let him in his rookie year drive a lamborghini and he got to drive the lamborghini down in miami and they went to a restaurant for for Joni uh big woo's wife's birthday and Low riding in the front seat and they go and the valet goes hey do you want me to park this in the regular valet or do you want me to park it out front i mean it was like a it was like a lamborghini murcielago some kind of like great like legit you know the top was off and their big Dino heads were sticking out of it. <laughs> well, big Woe is a rookie. So he's not making, or maybe he's in his second year. So he's only making, you know, five, $500,000 is a lot right. of money, but to Raleigh be right. in at that, in that lifestyle. And Loki okay, looks over at him. He goes, the guy, the guy goes, it's $50 of it, or $100 a hundred dollars to sit in the front. Locane okay, Looks over at him. He goes, pfft. Pulls out $200 bills. He goes, $200 ain't nothing for a boss. And he hands it to him. And, and it's like, you know, so that kind of stuff, those kind of stories, to me, need to be told. Because he's not, like, he's not trying to flex on anybody. He's not trying. It's just who Locaine is. and But all you see is the Lokane who's like, you know, just plodding around. They he steals the base. He plods around. You know, that kind of stuff is what's fun to me, the, uh, one of our, one of our biggest stories that we talked about was Pete Alonzo, Pete Alonzo, the poop story. Like he had to, he, he, he goes, and he just told this story like we didn't know about it. We're like, Oh, you know, any crazy home run stories? He's like, actually I missed time the other day. I missed time. My pregame coffee And everybody knows if you mistime your coffee, the timing kind of gets off on the uh what coffee makes you do. And I'm not talking about energy with caffeine. And he's like, he's like, so I'm out there in the middle of the inning and I go, Oh man, I'm leading off. Kind of mistimed it. And he turns to McNeil and he's like, Yeah. He's like, ooh. (laughs) Bad news. Fortunately, they got out of the inning. He's like, I'm leading off. He goes, I'm swinging at the first pitch. He goes, if I got a, if I got a single, I was getting picked off. He goes, first pitch slider, first pitch slider hits a dinger. When well, he goes, oh, it's the first pitch. I had a dinger. And in the game, I'm sitting there like, I've watched a lot of baseball. I go, I remember you hit a first pitch. Was it against Hunter, Hunter Green? And he's like, yeah, how'd you know that? I was a complete guess. So we're showing the video and it's like the video of him Running around bases, like oh, maybe a little waddle there. Just stuff you can talk about on the show, and the fact that like he had to go in and poop. He high fived and he went in and pooped. But you know, all the baseball analysts are like, "Well, actually, what he's looking for here is he knows Hunter Green can throw hundred and three, <laughs> so he's trying to get on the first slider that he sees." No, he's
2: not. He just had to. put <laughs> he had to get out of the. He had to get out of there quick. That's. A, I, I love that story. And I remember when he when he told that story to you guys, and it, it really picked up. And you're right. Like, there's plenty of moments where guys are just going to disappear. And there's a reason why. I, Dan Bernstein over at 670s in Chicago would always tell a story that uh, Moses Malone one time, like, just left the game in the middle of it. I'm going to butcher the story. Uh, and people were asking him, like, one time, like, hey, Moses, like, you just disappeared in the second quarter. What happened? He just went. Ain't no thing at a dump. <laughs> yeah, I did that, like, and, and
1: to be
3: yes. Farts and poop stories, everybody laughs. Like, you could, you could think oh. of disgusting. They're funny. But it's like, it's one of those things that, it just humanizes players. And it's okay to humanize players because they're grinding through stuff.
2: Mental things are grinding through a mistimed coffee. Yeah. I'll take one last break, and then I want to get your your thoughts quickly on uh, maybe one of the surprise teams that uh, has a chance to to hang around, have a little bit of staying power. We'll go through some of the odds uh, with our friend Eric Kratz. He's kind enough to join us here on Benny and the Bets. Take one final break. We'll be right back with him. Stay with us. Benny and the Bets.
1: Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.
2: All right, Kratz, I know we got a couple of minutes left, and uh, I know you got to run. I I know that uh, our producer Nick's got to run. So you're the best for hanging out with us. This has been great to catch up. Buy the book. It comes out on Tuesday. The Tower of the Backup Catcher, Playing Baseball for the Love of the Game. It's written by Tim Brown and our guest Eric Kratz, along with several other contributors. Uh, Great stories that uh, I'm very interested to dive into once this book comes out. Also check out Foul Territory all week. They are live from Seattle heading into the All-Star Game and all the festivities there. All right, so I'm looking at the futures market, and, you know, we could talk about teams like the Braves and the Rays and the Dodgers and, you know, Yankees to a certain extent, and that's not really fun to bet. But then if we dive in a little bit further, and we're looking at still some value on the board for maybe some surprise teams, Arizona's 50 and 37. You can find them at 28 to 1 to win the World Series. Uh, teams like the Baltimore Orioles, who really turned things around last year, still 15 games above 500. You can find them at 35 to 1. Miami is 14 games above 500. You can find them uh, for as long as 50 to 1. Uh, Cincinnati, 70 to 1. And, and they're right now atop the division, and they've been an awesome start. Looking at the teams that have surprised so far, over the course of the season. Do you look at any of those and say, yeah, I I think they have some staying power here to at least make a run, get into October. And, and as you and I both know, man, all it takes is you just got to get into October because weird shit can happen in October.
3: Yes, it can. And I looked, to not belabor the point, I look at teams' rotations. And right now, I sit there and go, I think out of all those teams you mentioned, I love the Orioles the most. And I hate their rotation the most. So for me, I'm sitting there going, I love I love this team. I think they have some good pitching. I don't think they have that pitching where you're like, whoa, if they get into a series, I just don't know. You know, I don't know if you can beat them, you know, because if you get two guys. Look at the Phillies last year. Everyone's like, Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola. Okay. Good luck with Ranger Suarez. You know, that kind of thing. And you look at the Marlins and you're like, Sandy's not going to pitch the way Sandy's been pitching all year this year. I am fearful of the Marlins. And if you're getting, what did you say, 50 to one or 70 to one? Miami,
2: you can get as long as 50 to one right now.
3: 50 to one? I'm taking some cash ish on that because I love that. Obviously, I think the Braves are the best team. I think they're the best team in baseball right now. But when you get into the playoffs, If you have to face Sandy Alcantara, you have to face Yuri Perez, and you have to face Jesus Luzardo, who is going like this this season, and striking out the world from the left side, I would go, if I were them, I would go Sandy, Jesus, Yuri. So you go right, left, right in a series, they're gonna shut down the Braves. They're gonna shut down a lot of teams. And to me at 50 to one, I'm going to stop talking about him because I feel like it's going to go down a little bit the more we talk about it. Get your money in there quick because to me, that is a huge, huge, huge bet. And I think I think the Diamondbacks are a really good team. But again, is Merrill Kelly enough for Zach Gallon's legit? Zach Gallon is a, he's not an ace yet. He is an emerging ace, but he is a legit number one but is Merrill, Merrill, Kelly. But I think the Diamondbacks could make a trade at the deadline. I think they could be a sneaky team that is just kind of lying in the weeds, ready to no pun intended strike at the trade deadline. So I think, I think they could, but 50 to one with the Marlins.
2: <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. I'm with you there. I, I think the Marlins is the play. Um, I, I, I still think there's value to be had, Um with even a team like Milwaukee. Milwaukee, right now, 47 41, you're talking about top dogs in that rotation as well. And they're starting to, to get them, they're winning close games. That series against the Cubs was unbelievable this week. Um, and granted, they're still, from a run differential perspective, they're still in the negative. But I, I see that team with that type of experience and that type of top of rotation leadership and really good bullpen. I, I could see them starting to figure things out and you can get those same odds available right now for Milwaukee uh, as well. And that's a bad division too, Eric. Like 55 to one right now is available for for the Brewers uh, to go ahead and make a run. So I think Miami, Milwaukee, uh, go ahead and lay it on the M's. Eric, you're the best, man. I appreciate you hanging out with us. Enjoy Seattle. Book comes out on Tuesday. Please go check it out. You can find it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Are you, you going to be doing any touring? Are you going to be uh, coming into different towns? Uh, side photographs, kissing babies when uh, whenever the book comes out? I don't think
3: anybody wants me to kiss their babies. That's that's not... I make babies cry for some reason. Something about my... I think it's my nose. I used to have a beard, and so I thought the babies would cry for the beard, but I think it's my nose. Huge nose, babies are afraid of. But yeah, I'm going to be going around. I'm going to be wherever they want me to go. I don't know. I, I've never written a book. I've never been a part of this, so you know, the publishing group, they're trying to set stuff up. I'd love to my thing is, you know, you come in and people are like, who is this? Like, what what is this guy? You know, I have a World Series ring with the Royals and I had four at bats. Like, you know, they're sitting there going, Oh, cool. We brought in an ex royal. That's awesome. Always royal. But, you know, so wherever I'm going, I think I'm I think I'm gonna try to go to uh I think I'm gonna try to go into
2: the booth with the Phillies, just kind of promote the book and hope people really enjoy it all right man well if you're in kansas city obviously don't don't hesitate to hit us up beers barbecue whatever you want is on us and uh it's great to catch up with you man continued success uh and and all the best to you man enjoy seattle
1: good to see you again betty fresh thank you for listening to kc sports network we appreciate your support don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard